Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report for October 2nd, 2023. I'm Phil Adler. Once again, oil is being wielded as a weapon, not only to boost revenue for producers, but it appears to achieve geopolitical goals. Where does it go from here? Can we see an end to this particular cycle of production cuts and rising prices? Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today to address those questions. Bill, first bring us up to date. How has the price of oil behaved recently? Starting in early July, oil prices have moved steadily higher. In early July, West Texas Intermediate was trading at about $70 per barrel. It rose steadily to $84, pulled back to $78 in August, and since then has moved relentlessly up to the mid-90s per barrel. And what are the reasons for this latest movement in prices? Well, the primary driver has been the production decisions by OPEC Plus in general, but Russia and Saudi Arabia in particular. In the spring, the Saudis, along with United Arab Emirates and Iraq, decided to cut production by a million barrels per day. In June, the Saudis made a unilateral cut of a million barrels per day yet again. In 2022, the Saudis were producing at about 11 million barrels per day. Their production now is 9 million barrels per day. Russia also indicated it would reduce oil exports, but tracking Russian behavior is more challenging with sanctions in place. How does the recent rise in prices compare historically to price fluctuations in the past? Well, it's important to remember that oil has historically had a swing producer. That's because oil developments tend to be lumpy. When a large field is found, there's a surge in output that can drive prices lower. But because oil is a depleting asset, without new production, output falls over time, leading to higher prices. The swing producer works to smooth out these price swings by holding some production off the market. In the early days of oil, Standard Oil played that role. After the antitrust breakup, we had a period in the 1920s without a swing producer. Then in the 1930s, the Texas Railroad Commission enforced production quotas. Since Texas was such a large producer, their actions actually controlled prices. Other U.S. oil-producing states had similar bodies, but they tended to follow Texas. After 1971, U.S. demand met U.S. production, and so the U.S. was unable to continue its role as swing producer, and OPEC took over that role. And that changed everything, setting the stage for a new power division. It did. OPEC's first major oil event was the 1973 oil embargo. The direct cause was U.S. support for Israel during the Yom Kippur War. But the OPEC nations were not happy with the Nixon administration, who had closed the gold window, leading to a major drop in the dollar. Since oil was mostly transacted in dollars, the weaker dollar hurt oil producers' purchasing power. Eventually, a deal was struck where the Saudis would agree to maintain dollar pricing, use treasuries as a reserve asset, and in return, the U.S. offered military support. After a major run-up in the oil price in the wake of the Iranian Revolution and the subsequent Iran-Iraq War, OPEC tried to maintain higher prices. But conservation efforts in reaction to high prices, a deep U.S. recession, and the advent of new non-OPEC production, especially in the North Sea, led to reduced demand for OPEC oil. The Saudis aggressively cut output to keep prices up, but by late 1985, they gave up and flooded the market with oil, taking prices from around $30 per barrel to under $10 a barrel. As an aside, T. Boone Pickens made a killing being short oil through this process. The drop in oil severely crimped the hard currency earnings of the Soviet Union and contributed to its downfall. 
There have been other events, too. In the late 1990s, the Saudis and the Venezuelans engaged in a market share war for the U.S. market, leading to another collapse in price. As shale oil emerged in the last decade, the Saudis tried to undercut that production by boosting output and lowering prices. That effort mostly failed, and to restore prices, the Saudis had to petition the Russians and several former Soviet states to expand the cartel. The current rise in price is not unprecedented, but it should be noted that, like swings in the past, it is deliberate. And, Bill, have these price fluctuations tended in the past to have some serious geopolitical effects? Yes, they did. The Yom Kippur aftermath led to deeper U.S. involvement in the Middle East. Essentially, the U.S. was ensuring that Middle East supplies would be available to the free world. The Saudis' mid-1980s decision to retake market share contributed to the fall of the USSR. The Saudi-Venezuelan oil market share war ended with the rise of Hugo Chavez. The advent of shale oil has led the Saudis to focus less on the U.S. market and more on China. So yes, these price fluctuations have an impact. Talking a little bit about the shale oil production here in the U.S., which you point out in your report, turned America into a net exporter of petroleum and and made us less reliant on Saudi oil. So my question is, why is the latest Saudi decision to cut production having such an impact on prices in the United States? Well, that's because the oil market is global. So when the Saudis cut production and boost prices, it encourages U.S. producers to export oil to capture these higher prices. It should be noted that oil wasn't always as globalized as it is now. You might remember Mark Rich, who is a fugitive from U.S. justice because he had the audacity to essentially smuggle oil in the 1970s. The Nixon administration, in a bid to keep gasoline prices low, created a convoluted set of trade controls to keep oil in the U.S. at lower prices. Rich evaded these controls to get more for the oily controlled. The Ukraine war has led to a massive disruption in global oil markets. So far, the market has remained mostly globalized, but we occasionally hear rumblings about the U.S. restricting exports of oil and related petroleum products in a bid to keep domestic prices lower. Such actions generally don't generate the desired results as lower prices signal domestic producers to cut output. So as long as oil is a global market, it doesn't matter in terms of price that the U.S. is a net exporter. Bill, do you think OPEC today is a stronger or weaker organization than it was in the past? Well, that's an interesting question. In some respects, it's stronger. Having Russia and the former Soviet states in the cartel expands its market share. But on the other hand, the more members you have in a cartel, the harder it is to generate and enforce production compliance. Fortunately for the Saudis, many OPEC plus producers have underinvested in their oil industries and they are struggling to meet production targets. This gives the Saudis more price setting power. So on balance, I would say that the cartel is stronger. Bill, you suggested in your written report that both Russia and Saudi Arabia might be cutting production now in an attempt to influence the next U.S. election. I think Russia's goals are pretty clear, but what about Saudi Arabia? Why might Saudi Arabia welcome a different presidential administration? Well, now, some of this is just personal. Candidate Biden's comments about making Crown Prince Solomon a pariah hurt the relationship. This is one of the problems with senators becoming presidents. For the most part, senators can say things and rarely does it matter. This tends to train senators to make bold statements. Presidents, on the other hand, must be guarded because their offhand comments can suggest a policy change. Ben Solomon isn't likely to forget what Biden said and thus won't give the administration the benefit of the doubt. 
On the other hand, it's important to remember that U.S. foreign policy extends beyond administrations. Despite the Saudis' aggressive wooing of President Trump, when the Saudi oil facilities were attacked by the Houthis, the U.S. reaction was to do little. I think this lack of reaction shocked Riyadh, made it clear that the U.S. wanted to reduce its commitments to the Middle East to focus on Russia and China. I think the Saudis believe they will probably be better accepted by a GOP president, but they are also aware that better relations might not make a material difference. You make it clear, Bill, in your written report that Saudi decisions on oil production have historically been tied to U.S. promises of providing security in the Middle East. Can you sketch for us how this has been evident in the past? When President Roosevelt met with Ibn Saad near the end of World War II, the U.S. offered support to the emerging kingdom, but avoided a clear commitment. Even after the Yom Kippur War, the U.S. didn't provide an official security guarantee. About as close as the Saudis got officially was the Carter Doctrine, which said that any attempt by a power to control Middle East oil flows would be met with a U.S. military response. But this was a regional guarantee, not a Saudi-specific one. The actions by the U.S. to protect Saudi Arabia after Iraq invaded Kuwait were the clearest expression of support. That may have been the apex of U.S.-Saudi relations. The fallout from the 9-11 event where 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi nationals, coupled with Islamic activist activity in the kingdom that led Riyadh to ask U.S. military to base elsewhere, shows the overall deterioration of relations. The U.S. invasion of Iraq over Saudi objections didn't help either. But the advent of shale oil did change everything. The glue that was holding relations together were Saudi oil flows to the U.S. Those flows are now insignificant. Bottom lining it, Saudi Arabia now has good reason, you would say, to distrust American promises of providing security. As we discussed earlier, yes. The U.S. wants to keep oil flowing from the region, but is less interested in maintaining the kingdom. Bill, it, it seems like U.S. options are limited with the strategic oil reserve already depleted. In your report, you focus on something that's going on right now, Saudi-Israeli normalization talks. Do you think a potential ramp-up in Saudi production and an easing of prices may depend on the outcome of these talks between the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Israel? It very easily could. Saudi requirements are sizable. The Saudis want a nuclear program and an explicit security guarantee. Allowing the Saudis to enrich uranium creates a path for a nuclear weapons program. Such a program will almost certainly lead to Iran accelerating its own program and may lead to other regional powers to push for their own nuclear programs. A hard security guarantee is also a big ask. The U.S. wants to reduce its footprint in the Middle East, not expand it. Overhanging both these goals is that if the U.S. doesn't agree, Riyadh will probably look to China. Although China's military projection to the region is probably less than what the U.S. can provide, it would allow China to build naval bases in the kingdom and expand China's military footprint. It will be hard for the U.S. to meet these demands, but not meeting these demands may actually be more costly. And what other hurdles make it difficult for the U.S. to meet these Saudi conditions? It will be hard on a number of levels. It's important to remember that the GOP has a growing strand of isolationist tendencies, so expanding the U.S. security commitment might be unpopular even with the opposition party. On the other hand, not meeting it means oil prices will remain elevated. Bill, what is your prediction for oil prices in the near term? 
Well, I think we've got a pretty good chance of breaking $100 a barrel. I also think at that point, the Saudis will likely start leaking barrels into the market. Well, prices that high create problems for the global economy. If oil remains near or above $90 a barrel, what's the likely impact on financial markets? Well, right off the bat, it's bullish for the dollar. We noted in our June 12th report that for years there was an inverse correlation between oil prices and the dollar. A weaker dollar tended to coincide with higher oil prices. That's no longer the case. As U.S. oil production rose due to shale, rising oil prices boost U.S. terms of trade and thus is dollar bullish. Because of this situation, higher oil prices are doubly bad for oil importers. This condition creates a headwind for foreign assets held by U.S. investors. It tends to boost headline inflation, which is for long-duration fixed income as well. And if oil remains near or above $90 a barrel, how might this impact U.S. elections next year? Well, high oil prices, which lead to high gasoline prices, tend to weaken approval ratings for incumbents. Thus, it creates a headwind for the president's re-election campaign. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Be aware that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice, and this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.